0: When we think of the future of leadership in sales, what, or rather who, do we see? Women in Sales Everywhere and SalesLoft have teamed up to answer this question. And let me assure you, there's no doubt that the future is female. I'm Sydney Sloan, Chief Marketing Officer at SalesLoft. And I'm Alex Adamson, Executive Director of Women in Sales Everywhere. We'll be sitting down with each outstanding female leader on our inaugural future female CROs list to discuss everything from their sales philosophies, to how they keep their lives organized, to how they unwind after a breakneck day. Together, we'll dig into exactly what makes each of these women so extraordinary. Thanks for listening. Hey, salespeople. This is Sydney Sloan. I'm the CMO of Sales Loft, and today I have with me Laura Palmer. Laura is the Vice President of Sales at Unity Technologies, which recently went IPO. Congratulations. She is responsible for the global go-to-market strategy for games, overseeing the field sales and sales engineering for Americas, Europe, Middle East, and Africa regions. And she's at the helm of Unity's sales development, corporate sales, training sales, and emerging product sales teams across the vertical business. Prior to her role at Unity, Laura was one of the early employees of what is now the Google Cloud Platform, and she helped take GCP from upstart to over a billion-dollar organization running strategic sales teams focusing on disrupting the status quo. She is known for her authentic leadership style. She loves being able to share her experiences and passions for building and inspiring team cultures, which we will talk about today. And I'm fortunate that I know Laura personally. I know she enjoys being outdoors and active with her her husband, and three teenagers, which we may also touch on today. (laughs) So I know I just did your introduction, but maybe, Laura, you can give us a little bit more color about Unity and your background that I didn't cover.
1: Yeah, thanks, Sydney, and thanks for having me. It's always great to get to catch up. I'll just say, uh, for those people who don't know Unity, I, I get to work for such a cool company. We're a platform that powers the world's creators. So people designing anything from a video game, think like Pokemon Go or Call of Duty Mobile, to movies like The Lion King, to virtual reality experiences. Um, We're doing a ton of work in augmented reality. People are using our technology to design the next cars that are coming out. They're using us for all kinds of use cases and with visualization and simulation. So I get to work with a lot of creative people. Really cool, cool place to be. As we start
0: with, hey, salespeople in the tradition, uh, we talk about some of the things that inspire you. So what are some of your favorite books or podcasts that you go to to get inspiration?
1: Well, my favorite one recently that I just finished reading is the book Educated. And if you have not read this book, go read this book. It is a remarkable story, a true story about a young woman who grew up on a farm in the middle of the United States and wasn't allowed to go to school because of the beliefs of her family, and found a way to educate herself enough to get to college and ultimately to Cambridge. And oh my God, it's a remarkable story. So stories like that where people are overcoming really hard things, I think are, I, I love listening to those, to those kinds of stories. The second question we always like to
0: ask is, what was your first job in sales?
1: Okay. Well, I always joke my first job in sales was when I worked at Club Med after I graduated from college, which really wasn't a sales job. I was actually on the sports team. But the reason I I say that is because much of the business of the people who would come to the resort was they would return. They would be return guests and they would do that because they really connected with the people that worked there. So I always joke like I learned everything I needed to know about sales from my time at Club Med. But if I'm honest, like true selling job, I actually worked at Silicon Graphics as what we would call today really an SDR, a sales development rep. Another crazy story is that is now the Google campus. So when I went to work at Google years later, I drove back to where I had my first job. I covered the New York territory and supported a sales rep. I would crack up if he was listening to this, but his name was Randy and he was a total New Yorker the accent, everything. I love this guy. And I got to learn about selling, selling to New Yorkers. So anyone out there that is from New York and knows what it's like to sell to New Yorkers can feel me. So I, I had to learn to like, put it out there. What I was thinking, stand up for myself, stand up for the company, right. And be able to push back against customers, which was a really hard thing to do. And I, I uh, oh man, I learned a lot in that job. It was a lot of fun. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, we're we're talking with future female
0: CROs and congratulations on making our list. I truly believe uh, I am talking to a future CRO. And when you think about the goals you set for yourself or that picture of success for you, what is that?
1: I'd like to believe like one of the reasons that I'm on this pursuit and that I would like to be a female CRO is, is I just... I don't believe there are enough women voices in technology, especially in leadership. Success to me is being in a position where I can influence what other women are doing and what their trajectory is. It's not just that I want to be a CRO it really, I think, goes back to I, w- I want to be in a position to help bring some other people along the ride with me. And I, and I think you've got to continue to move up in order to do that. And, you know, eventually, I, I hope I'm able to even sit on people's boards and add value in that way, right? I think that's really important. And there's a lot of interesting legislation going on right now, you know, to drive more diversity on boards. So that's really, to me, if I can get to that point where I can help influence a number of people coming up help to influence how companies think about bringing those people up and you know eventually get to a position where I have a little more free time myself I got to where I wanted to get to
0: I remember when I was setting my my goals to be a CMO one of the most important lessons that I learned along the way that I think has helped me in being successful in my role is this whole concept of team one. And that while I am a chief marketing officer, I actually am the leader of the company first. And so it really is about leadership. It's understanding your role and your function. So you've gotta be good in sales to be a CRO. But when you get to that level, you actually need to be even better in leadership and understanding the business. What was the best
1: advice given to you about leadership? It's a tough one, and it changes the more that the role changes, I would say. I'll bucket it like this. Look up. Don't forget to look up. Look around you. And the mistake I believe first-time leaders make is they stay so engaged in their own business, which, hey, you you do have to do that, but really your role as you rise up through the leadership ranks is about influencing others around you, right? Right. Um, ensuring that your strategy is driving towards the company strategy, that you're upholding you know, the company values as you build your teams out. And that takes picking your head up and looking around. And even outside your own company, I spend, I'd say, probably 20 percent of my time, Sydney, doing things like this and, and getting advice from other leaders, giving advice to other leaders, right, trying to see what is happening in the world around me. I think that's really important. And you have to set aside time to be able to do that. So lift your head up, look around a little bit.
0: One of the things that we um, subscribe to at Sales Loft is that you have to be willing to learn at the pace or faster than the pace of growth. And you have been in extremely high growth companies and, and have used that to your advantage. How did you invest in your development. We talked a little bit about you having a professional coach. Um, So what were some of the things that you've done to be able to kind of keep pace with the
1: growth of the companies that you've been part of? I've been fortunate to have companies invest in me quite a bit in terms of, of leadership. So it started at Google and then has Unity has invested in me. I have had the luxury, the pleasure, whatever you want to call it, of of having a professional coach. And I I hope it's okay if I say his name, because I have to give this man props. His name is Dennis Adsit. And I've worked with him twice now since I've been at Unity. He's really helped me take the step back and think about things with a totally different lens. And If anyone's ever leveraged this, or you could even look at it if if people have been in therapy or, you know, however you've experienced this, but for someone to ask you a question that you never would have asked yourself is enlightening. And I I really believe that's allowed me to think about where I'm trying to go, not just in the next quarter, the next year, but like, where are we going long-term as a company? And how are you going to do things? Everything from you know, what does your organizational structure look like? And you can't just think about that today. You've got to think about it long-term. What relationships are you building inside the company beyond those that immediately surround you and why? And thinking through, you know, why do you need to influence that person? And it may not be for any task immediately at hand, but in the long-term, that becomes really important. So I cannot say enough, if there is someone out there that's struggling and you can have help from a a third party coach, someone outside the four walls of your own organization, do it. And I would even say beyond the strategy part,
0: how to communicate, how to show up, the preparation that's required dealing with conflict, things that you struggle with and ensuring that doing 360s, I'm very huge believer in, in 360s um, and, and understanding what is it that you're doing well and where can you continue to work? Because the going back to learning, like if you're always on a path of learning, be it through your network, yourself, what you do personally, that's how you're gonna continue to, to grow and have that learning mindset. So when you think about learning mindsets, Let's talk a little bit about teams, especially in sales. And are there some leadership principles that that you subscribe to around your leadership
1: style and, and how you want your teams to lead? Absolutely. And this goes back to, we were trained at Google on some work that talked about what makes a great team. And they've got, if you go to, it's R-E semicolon work. And one of the things they talk about is this pyramid where what makes the best teams in the world? They went out and did all this research. And there's a number of elements inside that pyramid. And the bottom of the pyramid is feeling safe emotionally, right? It's feeling like you can say what you need to say. And it's psychological safety is what they call it. I think that's really important. And what was interesting for me when I first came into Unity, when you go in as a new leader, your team will not have that psychological safety out of the gate nor should they potentially in your first, I don't know, 12 months of the role while you're assessing what's going on. But you want to work to get there. So it goes back to having the right leadership team in place. And once you get there, once you get where you feel like your leaders, these are the people you want to be in the boat with, right? You'll find that psychological safety really builds. In order to get there, I really believe you need to lead with empathy And vulnerability. And as a female, I have struggled with this, to be honest with you, Sydney, because I worry, oh my gosh, am I going to overdo it? And sometimes I think I maybe underdo it, to I don't know if that makes sense to you, but I kind of made this decision that that's how I would normally lead anyway. It's not something I have to work super hard on. So for me, leading with empathy and vulnerability is what I want to see from my leadership team. It's how I am committed to leading. Even if it means that I move up the ranks slower or I frustrate somebody or it's sort of like committing to being who I am as a leader versus trying to be who somebody might want me to be. And if if I don't get as far as I want to because of that, I'm okay with it because I'm so committed to that style of leadership.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's so interesting because. One of the skills that females have is empathy and vulnerability that's inherent. And and I can empathize with you that I also felt like I needed to be tough and couldn't show weakness and you know, don't let them see your crack. And I remember the first time I cried in front, you know, where somebody pushed me so hard I cried in front of audience. I thought I was gonna be, I was done, you know, but it wasn't. It actually allowed for people to connect with me. And I think. From vulnerability, setting the example, like wherever you put that litmus test is where that waterline will be for your team. So if you put yourself out there, then it brings that safety for them that they can also bring themselves. And I think in the past 15, 20 years, we've seen, at least in technology, a nice swing towards empathy and leadership and vulnerability. Brene Brown is my go-to when it comes to anything in this topical area to be inspired by. And so I I think that is so important. It's that whole idea of having deep trust so you can have the conflict and hold each other accountable. And it's not personal because you already have that deep, deep trust. And the
1: best way to do that is by being vulnerable. People sometimes, I don't know if you found this, Sydney, but they confuse vulnerability or, or empathy with, I'm going to feel like, the first thing that comes to my mind is like, Oh, uh, what we just dealt with the last year and like we have to, you know, feel for people who are on Zoom all day. Yeah, that's definitely part of it. But it's also the kicking people's butts when they need them kicked, right? So it's not just about being nice. It's about, you know, putting yourself in their shoes, understanding it, taking that time to seek first to understand. That's one of the, the things that I live by, right? Seek first to understand, assume best intent. But then if they need a kick in the butt, you kick them in the butt, and it's what I would expect from people who are leading with me, right? If, if I'm not doing something right, I want to know about it, but I want to feel safe enough that if they come to me and have that kind of feedback, that it's feedback to make me better or get me over a hump or, or whatever it is, that that's truly the intent. So
0: what other leadership principles, um, when you're thinking about hiring for leadership, what do you look
1: for? there's a few questions that I will coach my team on to ask as they are hiring leaders, right? One of my favorites, and this actually can apply as well to an individual contributor, but is when that person calls you at 10 o'clock at night, you see their face pop up on your phone. Do you want to take the call? And if your guts tell, I, I've I've learned this through making a mistake, right? Where I hired somebody and it proved to be really challenging to work with this individual. I haven't done it a lot, but it, but it's happened enough times that that I feel like that's really important for me. I wanna want to work with this person. So it's fairly basic. Um, the other thing, and I'm sure many people out there have felt this over the last year is when things get challenging, right? When revenue's not flowing in, in the way you need it to be. And you're looking at hiring somebody Think about, is that a person, if you bring them into the organization, is that a person when the going gets tough that you can look at and say, A, I know it's not that individual because I am so confident that that person's a great leader, right? And B, that they have the skill set to navigate their team out of those tough times. Are they the person you want to be in the trenches with when the going gets tough? And how do you begin to assess that?
0: You also talked about trust, right? And how you think about, you know, where you give trust, when you coach, when you're not. Maybe you could extrapolate on that concept as well.
1: Oh, that feeling when you hire a leader into your team and you have this like exhale that, you know, if you hand something to that person, it's going to get taken care of and they're going to communicate with you. That's a beautiful thing. What I think you have to be careful of is you still have to spend time with those people. So sometimes it becomes very easy, especially as we get busy and we have a million things to do to just let that person go. And we need to continue to coach even our best, most trusted leaders because that's the investment that we make into them. So I sometimes see where, you know, the the best leaders on your team, you kind of like let them go off and do their own thing. That's not servicing anyone. And as you scale, as you move up in the org, you need your team to be able to move up with you. So you've got to ensure that you're still spending time even with your most trusted leaders on your team. And
0: then you have a notion of the forgotten middle. What does that mean? Well, kind of along those
1: lines, um, you know, if you have managers that are knocking it out of the park and especially in sales, chances are you're engaged with them because you're probably working on a deal Or something gives you this opportunity to engage. Same with your people at the bottom. You're helping them. You're trying to figure out if this is going to work. You're spending time there. The people in the middle can be forgotten. They're doing the job. They're executing, right? It's really important to spend time with those people and it's easy to forget about them. So spend time with those people in the middle too.
0: The notion that you have your team, it's formed, it's nice, tight, and strong, and then you hire in new leaders. And what my coach is talking to me about is that you have to reform as a team because as soon as that dynamic changes, you're no longer a team, you're a reporting unit, and then you have to reestablish that. But when you're moving so fast, it's like, how often do you do the reformation and what strategies can you use to help new teams come together?
1: I'm going to go through this starting next week. So I've just brought in a new leader for my EMEA team um, that I'm super excited about. So there'll be a reformation there, right. In and of itself, these people have new leaders and I, I believe I've over communicated everything. So I've talked a lot about why I chose this particular leader, what I believe that leader can do for this team, how I thought about the selection process and why I care so much. I had the privilege of leading this team while we were out hiring and I, it allowed me to get to know the people and really understand what this part of the team needed. So I'm I'm super excited. But to your point, Sydney, the other thing that's gonna shift, and I think this is when that psychological safety kicks right back into gear, is you bring a new lead in and everybody's kind of like, okay, a little bit of jockeying for position and what does this mean to me? And, right, so we're going to spend time, we're going to spend a week together next week or half days, given we're over Zoom, reestablishing that footwork, trying to build back again to that psychological safety standpoint so everybody feels secure. And knowing that that's going to happen, right? Just like you pointed out, and if you know the shift's going to happen, you can kind of like have your spidey senses up and make sure you stay tuned into it.
0: So, so many times, and I just saw a stat the other day from McKinsey that the impact of the pandemic has been four times greater on working from home moms. How have you thought about maintaining work-life balance? First, we'll talk about for you, and then how do you advise your teams?
1: I think the bleeding over into, you know, you're kind of always working, you're kind of always at home. If I'm not paying attention to my kids, I feel guilty, but if I'm not working, I feel guilty. Like I totally feel that all the time. What I will say that's just helpful to me as a tactical thing people can do is wake up early enough to give yourself time in the morning to let there be you know, a good hour that's just yours and do with it what you will. But that's been really helpful, whether you're just having a cup of coffee and thinking or going out on a run or watching news, or what, whatever it is, and don't pick up your device for that hour, right? Like, just give yourself that. that that's that been really helpful for me. I also try to do something different when I, at the end of the day, that's not like cooking, and right? That's not like a home thing, and it's not like a work thing, so go out on a walk or see a friend or something. How to advise my, my team. A, take time off. This whole thing, and working with EMEA, the Europe, Middle East, Africa region. Oh, it's been enlightening to see how they think about work versus life and and it's far more balanced. I would say I've learned just a lot from from seeing things from that lens, but take time off. This whole, like I haven't taken a vacation in X amount of days, I don't find it impressive (laughs) at all. So I encourage people to take vacation. We do Zoom free Fridays right now. We are trying really hard actually to get off of Zoom whenever possible. I think everybody is burnt out. But going back to that trust and psychological safety, Sydney, I trust everyone on my team to do what they need to do to take care of themselves. So I I hope that people out there listening feel the same about the people that they're leading, that they can trust them enough to, to just allow them to go and take some downtime.
0: So this has been fantastic. I want to give you one more opportunity to give a shout out. One of my favorite things is being able to thank people along the way. You've mentioned a couple of folks in terms of your coach, but if you were to look back in your career and think about the people that have helped your growth, who would you want to recognize and why?
1: Oh my gosh, that's a big question. I mean, I've worked for so many great people along the way to name just one would be really, really difficult, I have to say. Maybe I'll do it like this. I'd like to think, I'll call it the uh, the Google enterprise slash Google for work graduating class is is kind of how I think about them. It's all of us in our early days that were at the beginnings of of, again, what's now GCP. And the reason I think that, I feel like I learned so much during that time. And there's just this sensation where we've got each other's backs. Like no matter what happens, We all have each other's backs and it's so fun to see people go off into these big leadership roles and what we learn from each other and and staying in contact. So I realize I'm kind of wiggling out of your of your questions specifically, Sydney, but I I really do mean that I'm grateful for those friendships and all I've learned from that group of people and they know who they are. So.
0: Well, Laura Palmer, the next future female CRO is fantastic catching up with you. And thank you again for taking the time to share with our audience your thoughts on leadership and what drives you. And I wish you the greatest of success. And that's it for this episode of Hey, Salespeople. Thank you for listening. Thanks, Sydney. Thanks for listening. This was Sales Loft and Wise's future female CROs. Check back next week for another episode featuring an outstanding female CRO of tomorrow. And until next time, this was Sydney Sloan from SalesLoft and Alex Adamson from Women in Sales Everywhere.